of our look at handling criticism. Just by way of review, since we're looking at our third part, look at handling criticism. The first part we began with is actually about how we shouldn't be so fast to defend ourselves. Anyone kind of remember that? Like two months ago, okay? Then last month we looked at how, what is our goal? When we hear uh, criticism, uh, your goal matters, okay? If you wake up early in the morning, the first thing you say is, okay, whatever criticism I'm going to hear, I'm going to take it to Christ and I see it's an opportunity to grow. That's a very different goal than most of us when we hear criticism. What is our goal right away? It's to defend ourselves or to, like, I don't know, um, make us desensitize so it doesn't matter or harden ourselves and that kind of thing, right? Um, but rather our goal is to change, okay? So right now today we're going to be looking at assessing criticism, Okay. So the first one is foundation because you need to first be not so quick to defend yourself. So then you have the goal of saying, okay, is this true? And then now we're going to say, okay, there's three possible three possibility, okay? That when you ask, are these criticisms true? There's three possibilities. What are those three possibilities? It is. It is not true. It is the thing. It might be true. It might be true. It is true. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, right there, okay. So in light of this, I think in light of that, uh, I think this is how we're going to look at it, is going to be three points, okay? Uh, we're going to see three possible outcomes when we assess our spouse criticism about us, okay? And by the way, in marriage, if your spouse can never tell you something wrong, if we stop here and ask... Well, maybe you guys don't have to say it out loud. When was the last time your wife or husband said something that you were wrong? And if you say, ah, you know what, my husband is so nice, he's never told me since we first uh, proposed to me, that's a scary sign. Yes? Okay. Uh, but we asked that, okay? And then, of course, in light of this, um, we want to ask uh, today, we're going to see how do we respond? Three possible outcomes when. Our spouse criticizes, or even, uh, by the way, when I say criticize, I also mean constructive kind and negative kind, okay? Remember the last time we established that, even the negative kind, I'm t- talking about their purpose, you don't think is to try to edify you. They're just upset, they're just annoyed, they're voicing it out. Um, even then, our goal is to what? To actually still what? Change, okay? To actually still change, okay? So here are the three points today, is three questions. Uh, number one is, how do we respond when we are wrong? How do we respond when we're wrong? I think we need to go over this because some people, when they know they're wrong, they never say sorry. And that should never be. That should never be for those who are married, especially those who are married. And number two is what? Especially if we're believers, okay? If we can never ever say, I'm sorry, or honey, I am wrong in this area, that's scary, okay? So we want to go over how do we respond when we're wrong? Question number two is what? Question number two on your outline is how do we, what? Yeah, how do we respond if we're not sure if we're wrong, okay? Even after we're still thinking about it and we're still not sure. Um, there's some things I want to go over with that. And point number three is how do we respond when we are right, okay? That it is your spouse's criticism is totally off and you are not in the wrong, okay? So how do we respond, okay? Uh, so in light of this, let me go over just some specific responses. Two principles to keep in mind in general, okay? Number one is always communicate when there's a conflict. Or when there's criticism, uh, I think it's always good to communicate with your fa- spouse what? Face to face, okay? Um, you'd be so surprised how people in marriage should know that, right? And by the way, even for singles, when people have criticism by text, what happened? People always misinterpret or read more into it than what it is, okay? Um, how do I know? That's the life of our church, too. 
people say, hey, brother, uh, this person said this about me, and it was so mean. And then he said, like, ah, I was like, oh, I have a hard time picturing the guy saying this. How did you guys communicate? Oh, he said it by text. Oh, yeah, okay, text. Let's call. So in text later, it's like, hey, Jimmy, you were right. So okay, oh, uh, you know, like, you just texted me again, okay? So with that, okay, how do we respond when we are wrong? Number two, uh, and also uh, uh, a correction, uh, communicate with, with your spouse face-to-face. Secondly is try not to respond to criticism on email, text, or even phone call where misinterpretation could happen, okay? Uh, so that's a corollary of that, right? Avoid things that are just written where they never see your, what, face, okay? Uh, see your face, okay? So let's go to point number one. How do we respond when we are wrong? There's really four responses, Okay. Four responses to consider that let's just say your spouse says something about you. Say, oh, Jimmy, you're so competitive. What do you do? There are four responses. And, and it's like ungodly competitiveness, okay? Uh, there's, there's four, okay? Number one is confess to who? God, okay? Turn with me to Psalm 51, verse 4. Turn with me to Psalm 51, verse 4. And can I have a happy, motivated reader? Read that out loud while I go run out to go get water. For being voluntold. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your word and blameless in your judgment. Here you see, by the way, is King David is confessing his sin towards God, okay? Notice he's addressing God because it says you and you only, okay? Notice also as well here, it actually is a true confession to God uh, would also acknowledge what is done by us is evil. And by the way, if you read at the subscript of the Hebrew verse 1, which is above our English verse 1, that subscript, the one that give information, you know, it usually says the Psalm David. It actually says, when is this Psalm written? Psalm 51. What was the occasion? It was in light of his sin. Of what? Adultery. With who? Bathsheba, okay? So he's confessing. Now, in light of this, true confession, we need to realize, acknowledge what is done by us is evil. It's not just saying, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I just made a mistake, and that's why, you know, this happened. But it's acknowledging what? Evil. As it says here, right? I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's actually agreeing with God's view, right? That this is, in your eyes, God, this is sin. This is not, oh, I was just angry. I was just upset. And it's understandable why I, what? Exploded, etc. Okay? True confession also acknowledge God's standard is right. Because it says what? You are justified when you speak and blameless when you, what? Judge. It's not blaming the rule. It's not saying, oh, you know, I wish this wasn't the, what, uh, what you wanted. I wish God's law would not be this part. We could be done with it. But you acknowledge that, okay? Also, what's unusual, look at this. I think one thing that's unusual with this verse is, against you and you only have I sinned. Let me ask you guys a question. Is it really true that there's David only wrong against God in this context of this song of his sin? Was it only God that he offended? Who else did he offend? Who else did he wrong, committed evil against? Bathsheba's husband. Bathsheba's, what happened to Bathsheba's husband? <laughs> right? He's gone. He's dead, okay? Uh, what, who else did he wrong? Did he wrong Bathsheba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, that is a marriage vow that was broken, okay? Uh, even in the sense that he, as a king, he's also wronged what? His country also as well, okay? So in that sense... Uh, but yet when he says here, against you and only have a sin, I think the question is, why did he say that? 
And I think what is going on here is what's going on is actually the first and foremost sin of every sin, the first person we wronged against is who? Always going to be God. Does that make sense? It's always going to be God first, okay? Um, therefore, we must confess our sin to God even when we wrong who? Others, okay? So his application in marriage, you know, let's just say you hear criticism. Your spouse says, you know, um, I don't know, I can't think of one. Like, oh, you should have uh, been more considerate. I don't know. Um, toilet seat, I don't know. Something like that, okay? You put the toilet seat down or whatever, okay? So that might not in itself be wrong, but it was wrong as what the sin of being inconsiderate, right? So when you realize you're wrong, you need to go to who? To God also as well, okay? We will see it's important to confess our sins to God. By the way, sometimes we're scared to confess to our spouse we are wrong because of what? Fear of man and the fear of man of, that we want to look like we are right. And I think what helps is actually having the regular habit of always confessing to who? God. When you confess to God, you have that peace of knowing you're forgiven and that comfort. You guys know that feeling of being forgiven by God and the comfort? And let that move you then. I think that's the only way to fight the fear of man. It's only then we say, okay, I can be able to freely confess to others. So I think this is an important component. We must never forget that. If we're going to go to uh, God's Word for resources to help our marriage, part of it is actually putting it God-centered first, okay? And maybe sometimes some of our difficulties in marriage is actually it reveals a bigger problem. You know, we think the biggest problem is, okay, my wife and I disagree on this. The bigger problem might be that we're not actually being going to God and using God's resources, right? And being God-centered, okay? Uh, so let's go to the next point. Um, response number two is seek forgiveness with the person you wrong, okay? Uh, James 5.16. Let's turn to James 5.16. We'll turn to James 5.16. Could uh, Chris read James 5.16? Yeah, okay. So, notice here, by the way, most Bible verse, most of the verses in the Bible talk about confessing sin is often confessing it to who? To God. I can only find one verse confessing to one another is this verse. But then you see this apply, uh, application and practice in other places, right? But here it makes it clear it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement that we are to confess our sins to one another, okay? Confession is to be done concerning what? Our sin. That means we don't make light of it. We don't say it's just a mistake, but this is our sin. We're showing, in other words, taking responsibility, okay? Uh, Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Let's turn to Matthew 5, 23, 24. Um, if you guys are Matthew 5, 23, 24. Uh, Wendy, would you be able to read Matthew 5, 23, 24? Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Yeah, so here Jesus is speaking. Uh, Jesus here is stressing the importance of reconciliation. Okay, When he says, first be reconciled to your brother, then come with your present offering. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, wait, who do we go to first when we're wrong? Do we go to God first or do we go to... Um, the person that we wrong, and I think the answer is actually 
we go to God first. Uh, but here, when it talks about offering, don't forget that the Old Testament have different what offerings. Yes, there's some that are for Thanksgiving. Some is also for uh, for just what does God require? You know, with the different seasons, that kind of thing. So I think really the principle is we go to God first. But at the same time, when it says here, hey, that's with some offerings, you got to make sure you go be reconciled with your brothers first. That shows the priority of what actually confessing our sins to who to others, right? Especially with our spouse that we wrong. Okay? Uh, so as application, we must go to the other person and tell them where we are wrong, okay? Uh, we must do that. That's important. See how serious God wants us to seek reconciliation, right? Uh, by the way, you guys understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Are they related? Yes. But I think they're distinct. How are they different? Reconciliation and forgiveness. Yeah, okay, that's good, okay? I think a good example is, uh, you ever hear sometimes people say, like, um, someone abused me, but that person's dead? But should you still be bitter? Hold it in bitterness with that person. No, because that, you know, there's verses of the Bible that you shouldn't, you know, hold bitterness, right? So you no longer count against them. You forgive them. But sometimes they don't necessarily improve their relationship with you. They're either dead, or they have no desire to be reconciled with you, to renew that relationship. So you still forgive them, but what? It might not be that you actually have reconciliation. Does that make sense? But here in this verse, I think it shows there's an importance of what? Reconciliation. Okay? Uh, by the way, you can't be reconciled with someone if you're not forgiving them. Okay? But realize reconciliation is a relationship aspect. And part of relationship is the other person has a vote also as well. Yes? And part of it is they might say, no, I don't want things to be well with you. But you still forgive them. But even though you might not have a reconciled relationship. Does that make sense? But we should seek reconciliation. We can't just say, oh, I'll forgive and I'll never forget or whatever that kind of thing. It's also what? To be reconciled, okay? So response number three is also, if appropriate, make restitution. You guys know what restitution? What is restitution? Pay for what was damaged. Yeah, okay. Let me say this. If appropriate, make uh, restitution. Well, let me say this, sometimes it might not be possible, okay? For instance, in someone's life, you know, it, yeah, you know, you go to jail, whatever, but it might not be full, but there's this desire, if appropriate, restitution. Do you, guys, uh, you guys don't have to turn there, but just looking at the outline, in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, okay? Uh, you guys could look at the outline that you guys have, uh, if you guys scroll down to um, response number 3, okay? Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we can kind of gaze through that. Let me ask you guys a question. What is going on in Luke 19? Do you guys remember? Jesus entered Jericho and he met a man named Zacchaeus. And then anyone want to fill it in from looking at this? What's Zacchaeus' job? What does Zacchaeus do for a living? He's a tax collector, okay? And was the case as changed man after meeting Jesus? Yes. Yes. Um, but remember there was some complaint. People said, hey, whoa, Jesus, you eat with tax collector. Ooh, this is really bad. Do you remember what the case said? Verses 8. Look at verse 8. He resolved that half of his possession he's willing to give to the poor. Right? And think about it for a moment. Sometimes we could think, oh, yeah, he's rich. Of course he could give it away. 
But I feel like knowing people and my own human nature is I actually think the more richer we are, the harder it is to what? Give away. Now that's very hard for someone that's really, really poor to think, well, if I have a lot, I could give it away. Well, it's easy to say, but once you have that, man, it's hard, right? It's very hard. Talk to me. You guys have that? Uh, with that, okay? Uh, so he was willing to give half of it away. Second thing also, Zacchaeus was also willing that if anyone wronged him, that is, if he defrauded anyone, look at verse 8, the second half. He says, I'm willing to give back how many times? Four times, okay? Now, you might say, well, Zacchaeus was really bad at math. I actually don't think so, because what's his job? He's a tax collector, right? And he probably was really good at it, to be so wealthy enough to host Jesus and all his friends, okay? So I think when he says this, this shows he really had the sincere desire to what? Like, I read this, sometimes I read this and I think, man, if every single person he's ever swindled came to him, he's out of, you know, he's, he's on the street, okay? But for him to say this shows he has a true, genuine desire. Now, look at Jesus' response. Did Jesus say, oh, you're pretty dumb? Or you're being a legalist? Why is it four times the amount? No, look at verse 9. Jesus said this, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. By the way, just as background, he called him the son of Abraham. For the Jewish religious leaders, did they like tax collectors? No. no. They saw them as what? <coughs> Apostates, okay? Totally liberals, and they shouldn't even be part of the family of God. And Jesus here is assessing that this desire to go about restitution shows what? He's doing what is commendable. So as application at time, we must be willing to fix what we've done wrong, okay? Uh, secondly, while things won't always be able to be fixed, what can be fixed should be what? Done, okay? Does that make sense? What can be fixed should be done. For example, if you're an angry husband and you break things when you get angry, should you say, oh, I'm sorry, and that's it? Or should you try to make effort to fix it or get a replacement? What do you guys think? Let's just say you're really angry and you just broke that clock. You grabbed it and just threw it like a frisbee all around the walls. Should you replace it? Or do you think sorry is just enough? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Or is that enough? I think there should be a desire, if possible. Now, let me say this real quick. Not everything could be... The nature of sin is so bad, some things cannot be necessarily replaced right away, right? Um, does that make sense? But there's the desire, if possible, to make restitution, okay? Response number four. Have hope that if you're a Christian, you can change. Because sometimes when we know we're wrong, one of the, sometimes the reasons why people don't want to own up to their wrong is they're afraid that they won't ever be able to what? Change. So the fourth response is we need to have our hope that if you're a Christian, you can change, okay? Turn, uh, if you're still, uh, turn with me to Psalm 51, verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10, okay? Could I have now, um, Nancy, would you be able to read Psalm 51, verse 10? Or is that a bit more difficult? Okay. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Okay, thank you. And I love this verse because remember Psalm 51 was the whole David and Bathsheba thing. And he's confessing his sin to God. Notice what does he ask God? What is his prayer request? He asked God to do what in this verse? Make a new what? Uh, what kind of heart? Clean heart, okay? Um, last Saturday I went to meet with someone that used to be in our church. 
they actually is it called angio place or the thing where they like yeah the pla uh, the balloon thing yeah. and then they clear it right uh, wouldn't we want a new heart wouldn't we like a new heart that's like a baby's one perfectly with no what build up right a nice heart and here God says what create me a moral clean heart right that shows that we can change and we can ask God to change us okay that should encourage us that we can change after we confess sin. Okay, so as application, have hope in Christ that not only will He save you, forgive you, but He can what? Change you, okay? Actually, for me, knowing this gives me what? A lot of confidence to be able to be willing to what? To own up to my sin. Knowing that's the first step to change, and I can change, okay? Uh, if you... you ha uh, okay? If... If you have hope you can't change, you use God's mean to change. That is prayer, the Bible, and fellowship, okay? So let's go to point number two. Uh, how do we respond if we're not sure we, if we're wrong, okay? There's sometimes we generally don't know if we are what? Wrong, okay? To be honest, uh, sometimes, you know, like we could be upset with our spouse, like, oh, how come they don't change? Or they say they don't know. It's really... But sometimes there's some things I don't know. Uh, not so much with marriage. I actually feel it's more of ministry. Like when I, I want to do this and this person says, I don't think this is the right application because this is not what's going on. This is, uh, that will work for situation A, but right now it's situation B, okay? So in light of this, I think we, th this is a principle also for all of life, is what do you do if you're not sure if you're wrong? Number one is pray about it, okay? Job 13.23 says this. Pray, by the way, pray to be honest. Job 13.23 says this, How many are my iniquities and sin? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. You know what this is going on? Job is praying to God, what? Help me to be honest and see my flaws and my sin, okay? But also pray for wisdom. Because sometimes when we're not sure if we're right or wrong, is we probably need a little bit more wisdom. So James 1.5 gives us that if you, any, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives you generously and without reproach. And it will be given to you, okay? Uh, I'm going to go a little faster. Uh, response number two now is seek to understand what your spouse is saying, okay? Be honest who you are. Okay. By the way, I think it's a general principle. Even if the criticism is not fully right, very rarely is the spouse criticism fully wrong either. Does that make sense? There might be some grain of truth. Okay, so keep that in mind. Uh, the preacher Joe Beakey also says the worst thing you could do when you hear criticism is to be technical of everything. Uh, you know how I always say never use the word never and never use the word always, right? You remember that? Uh, let's just say your spouse says, you know what, honey, you never put away the dirty dishes. You never, you always leave out the dirty dishes. That's not the time to be technical. Say, actually, it's not always because two days ago I put it back, three days ago, right? You don't want to be overly technical at that point, okay? Um, that's the last thing you really want to do, okay? Um, <clears throat> so response number three, also consider. Uh, consider the counsel of others. If you really don't know, this is, I think, a principle is this. <clears throat> If you guys remember, Second uh, Corinthians thirteen one, uh, and also all throughout God's word, other places is what truth is ours established by witnesses of how many, two or three. Okay, so let's just say you're really, really not sure. It's like, okay, my wife thinks I have been a really big jerk, and I'm just thinking I'm just telling the truth. Hmm. Let me call Pastor Andrew because why? He would definitely tell me the truth. Andrew, I said this. What do you think? And the guy will say, Hey, buddy, you messed up. Oh, he doesn't say, buddy. Hey, you're wrong, okay? Then it's like, oh, okay, I'm still not sure. That's one witness, okay? So Nancy, one, I have zero. 
hmm, I'm going to call Julian Genie. Hey, Julian Genie, if I said this to you, and I'm going to to you, what do you think? No, uh, you're dead meat. I said, okay, <laughs> two or three witness to zero. So with that principle, then you what? Realize, okay, you resolve it that way, okay? That's a principle, okay? But that's a principle even for church discipline. Two or three reliable witnesses. So if you're not sure, sometimes, by the way, there's a way of going asking about this, okay? Oftentimes when you hear most of this time spouse fighting when they get others involved is this. Pastor, um, you know, I'm just giving you just a generic example, okay? Pastor, you don't believe what my wife did or my husband did. But most of us, you know, right then it's easy to do a gossip. But I think the better way is like, okay, if you need to do this, it's like, I'm not sure if I've done anything right or wrong. I can't interpret this. Andrew, help me. How is this the best way to interpret that? Does that make sense? That's a very different spirit than if you say, oh, my wife is so sensitive or whatever, or my husband is so in, uh, inconsiderate, okay? You say, I don't know if this criticism is right or wrong, but tell me, what do you think, okay? That's a very different attitude, okay? By the way, is there a pattern of various people also pointing out the same thing, okay? Let's just say you are very, very inconsiderate, and your spouse says it, and you're like, no, no, it's not true. Or you're not sure if it's true, you're not sure if the person's, in your opinion, too sensitive or it is, then I think the next question is this. Hey, are there other people that also say this to you? Your coworker, your parents, and your siblings and other family members, or people at church, okay? If everyone else says, hey, man, you're really, really rough, that's a pattern. Does that make sense? Then that's, I think, you should be very inclined to believe your spouse there, okay? Uh, so every one of us should have individuals in our life that we know would be brutally honest with us. Do you guys know who they are? Who's someone in your life, Edward, that's brutally honest? You could go to and will tell you the truth and we'll sugarcoat it. My brother. Your brother. Good, okay. Uh, every one of us should have someone like that, that we kind of have an idea. If you really need help, um, you can call your pastor, okay? Uh, but but maybe I need to know more. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes they know you better, too. That's, that's reality, okay? I know my limitations, okay? Um, with that, okay? So, but we know those and go to those to seek whether those criticism from your spouse is legitimate. Don't go over there and say, man, my wife is really wrong. She said this. Of course they're going to say, they're going to take your side if you said it that way, right? But, well, unless those people are very honest, they'll be like, no, Jimmy, you have that problem, okay? If you're still not sure... Um, Talk to the spouse along with those people, okay? Let's just say you go to, you know, let's just say I go to my sisters, I tell them, and they're like, oh, I don't see it. Then bring your wife along or bring your husband along and say, hey, she says this. And then they listen, and then the assessment is very what? Different. Does that make sense? Okay? So I hope that's helpful if you're not sure. Let's go to the last part. Is how to respond when we are right. This is the response. Is Let's just say... Your spouse criticism is not accurate. And you are actually right after all the assessment. And I'm saying objectively speaking, you're not defending yourself. You really are the one that's right. And their criticism is wrong. Okay? How is the response? That doesn't mean, therefore, sometimes we think right away we could be Christian for everything when we're wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll be Christian. When we're not sure, okay, I'll do the Christian thing. I'll call and ask my pastor. But once we realize we've been wrong... Boom! Christianity in the Bible goes out the window. And we are now what? We're our own judge and jury. That's not the way it works, okay? Uh, response number one, consider your spouse's motivation. Sometimes your spouse means well, but misinterpreted you, okay? Does that happen? Okay? Be careful of being cynical and assuming your spouse every intention is bad, okay? Instead, Scripture says what? Okay. 
See, guys, there? Instead, Scripture says what? You should strive to think others as better than yourself, okay? Philippians 2.3. Let's, let's turn to Philippians 2.3. Uh, we could turn there to Philippians 2.3. Could I have... Or you can read from the outline, too. Yeah. If need be. <coughs> Okay, Philippians 2, 3. Nancy, would you be able to read? By nothing be done for your selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Yeah. Esteem others better than yourself, okay? So we should definitely not be so cynical right away, uh, assassinating the character by assuming always negative motive, okay? Response number two. Remember the truth will come out, okay? Luke eight seventeen teaches this. Sometimes, like, A, they are so convinced you're wrong, but you're right. Realize this. You know, the truth sometimes does come out. By the way, the truth, while people could twist and lie, the truth is still very stubborn, okay? Luke 8, 17 says this, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light, okay? So that's the principle to remember that even when response, if it turns out you're wrong, a still be patient, realizing truth will what? Come out one day. By the way, if I could say this, there's so many times I look back now on my short career as a pastor where I really was right. And I'm not saying I'm always right, okay? Because what? You make thousands of decisions every day. And of course, in ministry, just like any job, there'll be times where I'm wrong, right? But there's times where I'm like generally thinking, man, those people are really, really wrong. And they're really, really are adamant that I am wrong. And I really, really... At the end of the day, after consideration, is I think my view is what happens is right. And I've been so glad I did not yell. Because why? Then sometimes truth just comes out. And they see, oh yeah, this was really the case. Okay? Like I'm talking about enough decisions where it's like whether or not I'll be fired or not kind of decisions. Okay? So in the same way, uh, remember, truth will come out. Okay? Response number three. You still have the responsibility to continue to love your spouse. Okay? Even if they wronged you. Okay? Sometimes our flesh says we love our spouse only if they are good to us. But that's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible never says, love your spouse, husband, love your wives, and then put a little star. Certain conditions apply, right? Does it say anything like that in your Bible? Right? Certain exceptions apply. And then expired by whatever. It doesn't say that, okay? So in light of this, we must consider the uh, truth that we still have the responsibility to love our spouse even if they're criticism of us is wrong, okay? Uh, also, related to this, you still have the responsibility to be kind. Because sometimes you say, I still love you, but I'm going to, what, argue, fight, and be very nasty, right? But I want to go further. Response number four, you still have responsibility to be, what, kind, okay? Uh, Romans 12.10. Wendy, could you read Romans 12.10? So I think this established that we must be what? Practice what? Of being, giving preference to others, okay? Uh, Matthew 5.44. Let's just say it turns out, you know, like your spouses keep on bringing this objection, criticism, and it's totally not true, and they're totally malicious, okay? They're totally malicious, and they're just only doing that just because they want to fight. Are there marriages like that sometimes? Yes, okay? Or, or are there moments people could be like that? Yes. Let's just say they've become your sworn enemies, is why they brought up that false uh, criticism. 
Does the Bible, does Jesus tell us how do we behave with enemies? Yeah. Matthew 5, 44 says this, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who what? Persecute you. Remember the, the passage, the whole thing, right? If they slap your cheek, what do you do? Give the other cheek, right? If they say go one mile, where their right, driving direction is wrong, say, I'm going to go another mile where I'm wrong, okay? Uh, so we still have the responsibility to be what? Kind, okay? We still have the responsibility to be kind, okay? So response number five, you still have the responsibility to forgive, okay? We'll talk about that more some other time, okay? We still have the responsibility to forgive. Response number six, we also need to meditate on the truth that God sometimes uses underserved criticism to make us living by God's grace rather than our own sufficiency. Isn't that true? If our whole life, by the way, I think most of I, I guess I feel, this is how I feel as a pastor, whenever I ask any people, how are you doing? Like when they're really generally asked, how are they doing? Eventually they'll say things that are not going well in their life. It might not be the most biggest thing. They'll say, yeah, you know what? I've gone through things worse. But right now, this is like the main thing right now. And a lot of times, there's actually things that are what? Self-criticism or criticism of what? Or perceived criticism from others. Okay? So in light of this, I think one of the things we realize is if we don't have that, have you realized? Sometimes we wish like, oh man, I wish things would be easy in my life. But if we are totally easy, we sometimes forget who? God. It's Our world is self-sufficiency, Right? It's just, we're just on autopilot instead of relying on God. So realize even with the most undeserved criticism, God uses that still to make us what? Rely on God, okay? Response number seven. Response number seven. Consider the examples of believers in the Bible, okay? And this is the part that always moves me. Whenever we think about undeserved criticism, are there believers that have undeserved criticism in the Bible? Yeah. So, you think of, for instance, uh, Jeremiah, right? He's just preaching God's Word. Guess what happened? People are saying all kinds of things about him, right? Undeserved criticism. They say he's too harsh. Then one, when the Babylonian army came, he says, no surrender. They're like, whoa, you're unpatriotic, right? Or you hate God. How would you let the temple to be destroyed? Wow, you're blasphemous and a traitor, right? We want to make Israel great again, okay? So, what do you do in those situations? You see these things, and that should encourage us. We're not the first ones, okay, that have faced the suffering of undeserved criticism. Think, study scriptures, guys like Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Joel, okay, to encourage us. Also study from God's Word in the New Testament, people like Paul and Peter from Acts and 1 Peter, okay. Uh, and response number eight related to that is meditate on the example of suffering of Christ, okay. Who's the ultimate person? Who's the ultimate person that have been falsely, that has all the criticism against them, and it was totally not true? Jesus. All of us, right? All of us have criticism that is what? That has some grain of truth. I think, uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that once said something like, um, you know, if your enemy complain, criticize about you, it's okay. Uh, they don't know half of how bad you really are, Okay. So in light of this, putting in that perspective, Jesus Christ never sinned because even our enemies sometimes can see things for what they really are and they have all the incentive to really say all our bad part, right? So in light of this, Christ Himself, what? Every criticism against Him is all undeserved and inaccurate and unfactual. And yet consider Hebrews 12.3 For consider Him who endures such hostility by sinners 
against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love the last part. You want to, where it says, you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we hear criticism, do we lose heart? Raise your hand if you could lose heart. Okay? But anyway, sometimes it's not just that person criticism, it's we're also hard on ourselves. And that becomes what? Magnify, right? How many of us could feel like there's times when we hear criticism, we feel we're really weary. It's really exhausting. Okay? I actually think dealing with people is very exhausting. I, I really think so. Um, you know, I think it is really... I, th- I think I could go for 16 hours through sermon preparation, and I'll be like, I'll go to sleep really well. Okay? <laughs> like, I'll go... To, if you tell me 16 hours is just purely studying the Bible, like, it would be like, oh, that's... You know, I go to sleep, I sleep like a baby. Okay? But 16 hours of studying God's Word and then meeting with someone, and then they're really, really obstinate, and they really, really are not seeing it, and, 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 and they keep on hurting themselves, it is what? Very painful and very sorrowful for me, right? It doesn't sit well. It, I go home and thinking, could I have said this better? Could I have been more harder? Could I have been more gentler? I play all these games. And not to mention the emotional toll of what? Knowing that so much is at stake, right? So much is at stake that they're hurting themselves, right? That they're hurting themselves. And then number two, that I'm using capital, of our relationship, the quality of our relationship. I'm expending massive capital of that in order to be able to minister to them, right? Uh, so in the same way, meditate on suffering of Christ. It get, as it says here, then you will not be weary and you will not lose hope. So when you feel a burnout from criticism, right? Go to God, okay? Go to God. But as a result of teaching this, and also I've been using these also single guys, uh, some of these guys, I love them, they're making me try to live this out, like saying, do you really, really live this out, right? Do you really, really, okay, then let me tell you something you're wrong. So yeah, let's do it, okay? But it also goes both ways. But, you know, and, uh, but let's do it, right? Uh, but in the same ways, I think the only way we cannot lose heart is what? Is going to Christ, okay? By the way, I think some people think, wouldn't it be so good if I was a leader? Wouldn't it be so good if only my wife respects me as a husband? That means I will have no more as a leader, respected leader, no more criticism. But is that really true? Wouldn't it be so scary if there was a pastor? Wouldn't it be so scary if there was a president? You could never say anything negative. As soon as you put anything negative on Twitter, he sends a police for you and arrests you. Wouldn't that be really scary? I think so. I think that would be a very scary individual, okay? You don't want to be that, okay? You don't want to be that as a spouse, a husband, or a wife, okay? So the only way you could not go weary is what? Is actually what? Is actually go to Christ, okay? Response number nine, long for eternity. Because there's sometimes the spouse might not change. They keep on bringing things, things up that are not true or is very heavily distorted, their criticism. But this should long us for heaven, that one day there will be true unity, even if there's not unity in everything with your spouse. Number two, long for eternity, knowing that there, one day there'll be no more pain, right? Revelation 21, verse 4. Revelation 21, verse 4. I'll read this. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have, what? Passed away. So don't just look at this verse only when there's a funeral. <coughs> But there's also truth, even now, that we handle unjust criticism that are totally blatantly false, that are just totally slanderous. What do we do? We must long for more for eternity. Okay? Um, so these are, I think, 
um, things to keep in mind of how do we minister, of how do we keep on still being a godly husband and a godly wife, okay? So when we have sin, we know how to respond now. We're not sure. We could hopefully be helped more on the road to find out more whether or not we're wrong. And if it turns out we are not wrong, those are the things to be kept in perspective, okay?